If like me, you would consider yourself a bit of a type A person, or if you find yourself struggling with a lot of perfectionistic tendencies, then this episode is absolutely for you today, my friend, because we are going to seek to answer the question, how do I deal with and overcome perfectionism when I'm working to make peace with my body and with food? Now, to help me do this, I've invited on Cassandra Baker. Cassandra is a certified health, life, and mental health coach, and together, she and I are going to attempt to answer this question for you so that you can discover where perfectionism might be trying to rear its head on your journey to food and body freedom so that you can finally learn how to live free in Christ. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation about letting go of perfect. Welcome to the Joy-Filled Eater Podcast, the show that helps you cultivate a joy-filled relationship with food, your body, and Jesus. My name is Brittany Braswell, and I'm a Christ-centered registered dietitian and eating disorder recovery coach on a mission to help you break free from the bondage of food guilt and body shame so that you can start fueling your physical, mental, and spiritual health all from a place of joy. We'll be spilling the tea on all things diet culture, even in the church. Think of this as your weekly dose of nutrition and body image real talk mixed with biblical encouragement from your Southern bestie. If you love Jesus, are sick of having negative body image, and wish food didn't feel so complicated, then welcome, friend. This show is for you. So grab your coffee, get comfy, and prepare to be challenged. This is the Joyful Eater Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another week of the Joy-Filled Eater podcast. You guys are in for a treat today because one of the questions, topics, subjects that get brought up to me all the time in both in one-to-one sessions and in my group coaching is this idea of perfectionism. And so today I have brought on my friend and colleague, Cassandra Baker, and we are going to dive in with you guys to talk about perfectionism and how do we avoid or deal with perfectionism in recovery. So I'm excited to see where all this conversation goes. And Cassandra, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. I was telling Cassandra before we hit record, like this conversation could probably go on for an hour and a half because there there are so many areas that we tend to want to strive towards when it comes to perfection. And I would I would consider myself a recovering perfectionist because there are areas in my life, like I, I have two young kids. And so I've given up the idea of like, my house is going to look perfect or <laughs> my living room is going to, you know, randomly not have toys and crumbs and dog hair all over it, right? So there's areas like that where perfectionism doesn't feel like such a big deal, but there's other areas where it's still more prominent. So I'm excited to dive into this conversation, but before we get in, Cassandra, just for those who don't have the pleasure of knowing you like I do, would you just start off by giving us a little bit of your background and telling us what is it that you do and who do you serve? Okay. So I'm a certified health, life, and mental health coach, as well as public speaker. So um, I own a ministry called Authenticity and Grace, and our mission is to help women live free in Christ. And I simply get to be a vessel to help other women who are a little behind me in my own uh, journey in walking in freedom and be able to help them with the tools and things that I've learned through my own struggle and journey to be able to help other women. So I love the coaching because it's one-on-one and I get to dive deep with women Mm one-on-one and get to see change. I also 
am excited about being able to speak and share my story because I never thought I would actually be sitting here today talking with you and living in freedom. And so if it's possible for me, it's possible for other people. And I share my story to offer that hope. And I think that's such a powerful thing too. We were, I was listening to a podcast episode not that long ago and um, another kind of just like Christian speaker and podcaster was talking about the importance of sharing your story. And I think that's one thing that so many people get caught up on because they think, well, if I'm not all the way through it yet, then it's hypocritical and I can't talk about it or it's really embarrassing or nobody else would relate to this. And so I love what you just said. I hope somebody listening here, if you're listening and you're like, number one, I don't even know if recovery is possible for me. I think that's the number one, like biggest barrier, biggest struggle I hear from my own clients and students when I first start working with them is Brittany, like this is kind of a last ditch effort for me. I really am not, I'm not even convinced that recovery is possible. So I love Cassandra that you are sharing your story. That is something that I love to do as well. And that's something that speaking, whether it's on a podcast or a stage gives you that opportunity to do. So why don't you, if you are willing, would you share with us just a little bit of your story and how that impacted what you do now, how you got into coaching and speaking? I grew up in a loving Christian home. I don't remember anything other than knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. Uh, Outside looking in, things looked pretty great. I had all my basic needs met, family that loved me. But on the inside, there was this perfect storm that was coming together. I started struggling with depression and anxiety in middle school, and then around the same time started dieting. And of course, with the dieting came the restriction, which led to some binging, which um, eventually led into binge eating disorder. And I also uh, struggled with orthorexia in my mid uh, to late 20s. And so I have almost um, 20 years of struggling with uh, eating disorders. So to say that life was difficult living with an eating disorder just feels so inadequate. So I'm a visual person. So let me give you a visual. Uh, Imagine that I'm laying on the ground. I'm not tall. I'm about 5'3". And I have a 200 ton rock uh, completely on top of me. Um, and that was what it was like living with who I call Ed and the gang. So let me introduce you to my Ed and the gang. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, so Ed, of course, stands for the eating disorders and the gang represent the perfectionism. Miss P, I call her uh, legalism, people pleasing, all those isms, control, um, And so all of them came together to create this life situation, which is the picture of me on the ground with that 200 ton rock on top. And of course it's paralyzing, it's crushing, and I can't really like, it just feels hopeless, right? Because there's no way I'm going to be able to get myself out from underneath a 200 ton rock by myself. Um, So it was, uh, my healing journey is probably about seven years in total, uh, but the Lord started doing inner healing work, deep wound work uh, before I actually went through Ed recovery. So I had done a lot of the inner healing work. And during that time, I had developed the orthorexia, which of course I lost weight. I had never lost before and started getting the praise that um, as my body size went down, the amount of comments and compliments from other people, of course, went up. And so I thought I'd found freedom because I had believed, like diet culture tells me that thin equals healthy. Mm -hmm. 
And then, of course, I thought, well, when you're in a thin body, nothing can go wrong. Life is just great and everything's good. Of course, Ed was never happy with how thin it was. Of course, how it's thin never it was. enough. <laughs> he always wanted yeah. more. Uh, but then it was actually during that time that I experienced the first of four traumatic brain injuries. So the first one was the most severe. It was a severe TBI. And in one moment, uh, the Lord allowed the traumatic brain injury to literally take away my ability to be able to do all those eating disorders behaviors that I had to do to be in the smaller body. So doing obsessive exercising and spending all day, all weekend in the kitchen, you know, food prepping for quote unquote healthy, clean eating um, wasn't possible anymore. I couldn't get out of bed certain days. And so all of a sudden, when I couldn't do the behaviors anymore, Ed started getting really uncomfortable. He started getting really loud again. And so it's like, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe I'm not as free as what I thought. So it was in that time that I found intuitive eating. I uh, read, read the book and I was like, this is it. I, I knew that this was different than anything I'd ever read before. And so like my type A personality, I'm like all in, right? <laughs> so I'm like go running all the way in. And then all of a sudden I realized that like, oh, I just jumped off a cliff without a parachute on this one. Oh, and <laughs> so I realized I needed help uh, because of my level of uh, struggle with, the, with food. And so I got a dietitian. I finally was diagnosed after 20 years of struggling with an eating disorder. And, and this team of people came around that 210 rock and they start, they had the tools and the ability to help me chip away at that 210 rock. And so it was very slow and very long and the most difficult thing I've ever done for sure in my life. But eventually the 210 weight came off and um, now I'm able to do this work and just, again, blown away, still a miracle to me that um, that I'm sitting here today. And it's an incredible way to look at this. I I am a huge fan of like analogies and visual examples. That is my kind of learning as well. So I, d- I did an episode, um, I don't know, last year on another podcast and me and the guests were both giving lots of analogies and we were like, we're going to see who can give the most in one episode. <laughs> so I love that you share that. Um, y'all, if you're listening and you've ever struggled with one type of disordered eating, Cassandra, you just mentioned you know, like it, it can change and flow, right? And mm-hmm. just because maybe you didn't get a diagnosis at the beginning, that doesn't minimize the effect that it had on you. Right. And this continued development of these thoughts and characteristics, these perfectionism and the legalism. And so I want to really spend a few minutes and just, I mean, number one, recognize this is hard, right? Like going it through is. this, you, I think that illustration of the, of the, like the huge rock is, so accurate because it does feel like this huge weight and this pressure, um, almost like an invisible rock to everybody else, right? Because nobody else gets to see the impact of it. And so being able to, something huge you said was like, you brought in a team of people to help you chip away at that. Because I can only imagine if you've been in a car accident and you have, you know, or my goodness, I've been in, I used to live near the beach and we had hurricanes, like multiple every season and I can't tell you the number of homes that I like we would go back on the island we would go volunteer to do cleanup and there'd be all kinds of debris and heavy things that you have to pick up and move and and so much of the I don't want to say like not symptoms exactly but like the things that come along with the eating disorder are so much harder for other people to see they see the outside they see the Mm -hmm. changes and 
side note here, this is not the main point of conversation today, but y'all please don't comment on people's bodies when they're changing. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, this is probably not something you struggle with. Share this episode with a friend if they need a little, you know, hint, like it's not okay to talk about bodies ever. Mm -hmm. Um, The most well-meaning compliment can often be the factor that drives someone deeper into their eating disorder. And so that's a conversation for another episode for another day. But Cassandra, when it comes to that perfectionism, something I hear so much from so many of my own clients is like, okay, well, I, I need, I need some perfectionism in my recovery, right? You mentioned like being very type A, like I'm an A student. If I'm going to have an eating disorder, I'm going to be real good at it. Right. (laughs) But the same thing could be in recovery. Like if I'm going to go through recovery, I'm also going to, I'm going to do everything right. Everything's got to line up. Everything's got to work out perfectly or the opposite, like, well, screw it. I messed up for today. It's not perfect. So I might as well just throw the towel Mm -hmm. in and start over tomorrow or next week. So what I see usually happen with that is that this drive for perfectionism often leads to not taking action, right? Like lack of action taking, because maybe there's this doubt on if I can't do it perfectly, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Or I'm not good enough to do it right this time or this way. So it must not even be possible. So we know Jesus was the only man in history that was ever perfect. The only person in history. So how did you notice maybe just to get us started, some of those perfectionistic tendencies or mindset, how did that show up for you in maybe in your eating disorder, but also in that journey to recovery? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a very specific example I want to share about where I saw perfectionism in my own life. But before we dive into that, I really want to define perfectionism ultimately is what we call a dysfunctional behavior. Okay. And so I want to define what dysfunctional behavior is first, because ultimately all my gang members are dysfunctional behaviors that I use. So, but I want to define that. This definition is from um, author Terry Wardle. And he says, it's anything used to defend against hide or mask pain, behaviors we allow as substitutes in lieu of having genuine needs met and sinful reactions to being hurt. Okay. And so then the definition of perfectionism, I looked it up to define it correctly, is (laughs) refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. So one of the areas that I really saw this in in my own personal life was around the binging behavior. Okay. So when I was going through recovery, well, even before I got through recovery, one of the things that kept me stuck was the perfectionism in it because it was like, okay, I know that I should not be uh, binging. This is not helpful. Of course, Ed was condemning me for it. And then uh, my legalistic voice came in and said, of course, you know, he condemned me and shamed me for the behavior and everything. And so it was like, okay, I need to be perfect. I need to never, ever do this again, starting right now. And then, of course, I would wake up the next morning and um, I, at the time, also didn't have an understanding of how restriction was leading to my binging. And so that, of course, was perpetuating it. So that made a big difference when I understood about restriction and took that out. But I still use binging as a, an emotional way of coping with life as a dysfunctional behavior. Um, and so 
of course, I couldn't the next day wake up and do it perfectly uh, because ultimately what happens is these dysfunctional behaviors become habits. Okay. So this is where I kind of nerd out on the brain science of things. Hey, go for it. We're all about some like nerdy science over here. So go for it. Okay. So we know now that it's possible for our brains to rewire through neuroplasticity. Okay. So when I'm talking to my clients about let's work on changing behaviors, I like to use the picture of a hiking trail. Okay. So when it came time that I was struggling and I was triggered to feel like binging, it was like a well-worn hiking trail at the Grand Canyon, right? It wasn't like, where is this going? Where's the trail? Like millions of people have walked this. It's easy. There's no resistance. Uh, You just go and you're hiking the trail before you even realize that you're doing it. Right. And so I expected that I needed to just no longer hike that trail. I needed to just do something else. But the reality is, is when we're talking about changing behaviors, what we're doing is we're blazing a whole new trail that has never been blazed before. Okay, so we know through the neuroscience that our brains can uh, rewire. Uh, Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson says that on average, it's only two millimeters per day that our brain rewires or regenerates. Okay, so two millimeters, here's the picture of it. It's the uh, depth of a nickel. Okay, that's the average. That doesn't mean every day you're doing two millimeters. But okay, so realistically, I was expecting myself to totally walk a new hiking trail the next morning that I never and be perfectly blazed. But that's just not like science shows us that God didn't actually create our brains to work that way. Yet I was essentially trying, expecting myself to go against the way that God wired us to be. And so what I learned about neuroscience and about the reality of change and that change can come in two millimeters, not completely changing, then that really gave me the freedom to say, okay, what if I would step back and rather than say it has to be all or nothing, what if I would say my my practice is that I'm going to try to binge less this week than I did last week. To not expect that, because the other thing is, is we use these dysfunctional behaviors to kill pain. We use it to also fill core longings, right? Like I want to feel loved and I want to feel safe and I want to feel in control. Um, When I don't feel those ways, then I'm like, well, maybe if I use perfectionism, if I'm perfect, then that will fill that need. But ultimately what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fill something that only God can fill. Only God can fill that core longing of a true love and acceptance. Um, So when I try to use perfectionism, I'm essentially saying, uh, Jesus, your love for me is not enough. I'm going to work my way by doing it perfectly to try to earn it. And um, so- Right. It is. And ultimately it's impossible. Right. So like we're going to fail. (laughs) Yes. So you got to give yourself that permission there. Number one, like just to, to notice that, like that is a, that's a big recognition or a big realization. Like, oh my goodness. Like, God, I'm trying, I'm trying to do your job for you. I'm trying to take over something that you want to do. So keep going. How, how did that, how does that continue to unfold? Yeah. And so I also, the verse uh, where it talks about it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You see, ultimately, I really was seeing 
God standing over me, shaking his finger at me, telling me, why aren't you doing this perfectly? When essentially that was not the voice of God. That was the voice of Miss P, <laughs> Miss Perfectionism. Yes, yes. Um, and, and rather when I recognize that it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. And instead I started hearing him saying, Cassandra, you're not going to be able to change this overnight. How can we do like a little bit of change? Okay. So essentially perfectionism is like black and white, all or nothing. So small steps in working towards recovering from perfectionism is what I call swimming in the gray. (laughs) Okay. So it's like, taking a step out of the black or white into the gray areas. Now, to be frank, there are some things that are absolute truths, right? In the word of God. But what I eat every day is not black and white. Like the Bible does not tell me specifically right. what I'm supposed to eat today, right? So not there's prescriptive. Yeah. The, the problem is, is we're making everything black and white yes. when there's so much that uh, we're unique, created individuals. And so Uh, Swimming in the gray is about like, okay, how could I potentially do this a little bit better? So ways that that practically played out was when I had the dietitian, I started just texting her and letting her know that I felt the urge to binge and that I wanted to binge. And so that was a step in the gray because I was one, telling someone something that I would never, ever tell anyone. And I was so ashamed of Mm -hmm. And then I remember one time when she was like, okay, that's all right. You go ahead and you binge. And it was like, she gave me permission. And it was like, kind of like jarring at first. It was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute here. Um, But then when I recognized that someone knew that I was wanting to do this and that I had permission to actually eat, that I remember that specific time I did binge, but it was not as bad as what it was the time before. And that was like really a huge shift to changing um, that behavior and being able to move because I am where I'm at today, not because all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I'm here today. No, I took two millimeter steps yeah, day in, day out. And that's really where change happens. And God is just so kind and patient with us. He created us to change slowly. So he's not standing over me, shaking his finger. He said, you know, that was really hard for you. I know that you're using this to try to cope with things. Um, I know it's a habit. I'm here for you. I I understand that this is difficult. Let's practice. Um, And when I just had grace, essentially, is the answer and solution to perfectionism. Uh, that is when things really started to change and to rewire. And it's the importance of repetition, too. Okay. So if you want to learn how to say that again for those in the back, <laughs> what, is, what is the key there, Cassandra? Okay. So the key here is repetition. Shall I say that again? Yes. Oh my if I have said it one time, I've said it a thousand times. Repetition. And I'm, I'm going to piggyback on this, too repetition regardless of how you feel about it mm-hmm. right because it doesn't mean every time it's gonna feel easy exactly right so yes keep going yeah so the repetition of practicing a little again and again and again because essentially as we blaze this new trail 
there might be a log down. Well, also remember, there's no trail before us. So it takes a lot slower because we don't essentially know where we're going. And so we need to go slow because we're paving out the trail. So sometimes we have to remove the trail. Other times uh, there's a hole. So we have to like fill in the hole in the trail before we kind of move forward. But again, the more and more we clear and the more and more we walk on it, the easier it is going to be in order to be able to the next time be able to go down there. And then the other thing too, is like when we have a small victory in one area, then that's a lived experience and lived experience is different than just knowing about change. And so then that yes. in and of itself, it's like thinking about your brain rewiring actually helps your brain rewire. Yeah. So you're building those skills as you go, right? Mm-hmm. Like being like going back to that analogy of the tree, right? Like in order to get, you know, continue going and pay the trail, you have to chop the tree or you have to cut some pieces mm-hmm. down Well, you're building some strength when you do that. And then maybe you have to clear something else out of the way. And if what, what we so often pray for is like, Lord, just get me to the end of this. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you get to the end of it and you haven't grown and been equipped along the way, like you're just being set up for another disaster so that when the next mm-hmm. hard thing comes up, you're not prepared to deal with it. You relapse, mm-hmm. right? Or you go into lapses of behaviors. And so something that there's so many things I feel like I could touch on. I should have been like jotting all my points down, but something when, when you referred to like just kind of defining perfectionism as a type of dysfunctional behavior and how it is like, you have to give yourself that grace to say, okay, I'm using this behavior for a reason, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't just wake up and decide, I think I'll be a perfectionist today, or I think I'll binge today for, you know, for kicks and giggles. So it's meeting a need, right? It could be, you mentioned, yeah. you know, it could be something like, making you feel safe, make you feel more in control. It can help you deal with really difficult emotions like sadness or anger or frustration. Um, I, I hear this all the time. So I created a resource for my students and I'll, I'll link it up in the show notes just called the needs assessment. And it, it helps you if you're going, I, I'm binging and I just can't figure out why, like Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. need is this behavior meeting for me? Um, It's a resource just to help you kind of uncover that, to ask yourself some questions, go through some statements and go, you know, kind of quiz style, like, okay, I'm seeing the purpose behind this dysfunctional behavior. Mm -hmm. It is meeting a need. And I think knowing that, and it sounds like Cassandra, you kind of discovered that along the way, like with some help from your team, even, okay, what is perfectionism doing for me? What is the binging doing for me? What is the restriction or the, you know, excessive menu planning and Mm -hmm. quote unquote clean eating. And so knowing that I think helps you to give yourself some of that grace going, okay, this is serving a purpose mm-hmm. and God wants to help meet those needs for you. Like the yeah. needs are valid, right? The, they are. You have those and needs that need to be met. One of the things that was uh, life-changing for me was recognizing that the dysfunctional behaviors are a symptom, not the root problem. See, I yes. thought I just needed yes. to fix the eating disorder and the perfectionism. Now, don't get me wrong. Our dysfunctional behaviors need to be addressed. Yes. But now they are a warning sign to me that there's something going on underneath. Because ultimately, underneath my perfectionism, under Ed and the gang, my dysfunctional behaviors, I had traumas. I had wounds. I had experiences that I had gone through that had led to false beliefs. You know, I had people that commented on my body publicly and publicly shaming me. Right. So I heard the false belief you were less than because of the size of your body. Well, that thought leads to a lot of negative emotions such as unloved, unworthy, unsafe. Um, And at the time I didn't know how to 
recognize emotions, name emotions and process them. So ultimately what I did was like, let's skip this. This does not feel good. Forget the uncomfortable part, go to the end. And so how about, you know what? I bet you if I'm perfect, that will, uh, that will make me not feel unloved. That will take care of what that person said about me publicly. Right. And so, so now like I would say I'm fully recovered. I don't have eating disordered uh, behaviors. That doesn't mean I don't have a bad body image day. Okay. So if I wake up feeling like, oh, I wish my body was smaller. um, That to me is not my eating disorder. That to me is a warning signal saying, oh, Cassandra, something's going on underneath and you want to use your body, fixing your body to meet what the society says in order to fix it. And so now I have a lot of compassion before I would just like shame and condemn myself. You shouldn't feel this way or whatever, but ultimately it shows, it helps me know that there's something going on underneath that I need to address. And then I can sit down and I have the tools now to be able to process and work through it. Um, And so just like none of us want to feel pain, but essentially pain is also good because if we didn't feel pain and we were hurt, it would be really a really bad thing. Oh my goodness. Yes. So like if you, so this is, this is one reason I'm going to use, I'm going to not let this get, be like a graphic, I won't give graphic details, but like, this is what happens a lot of times when you have nerve damage Mm -hmm. is that you like, maybe you stub your toe, you, something happens, you drop something on your foot. You don't feel it because maybe the the nerves have been damaged. And so you end up with this, like, you don't know, oh, well, it needs antiseptic or it needs a bandaid or I need to go to the emergency room. And then you get all these cascading issues that come off of that because you don't treat it because you didn't feel the pain. So Mm -hmm. it's not the pain that's bad. And you really have to be careful with that word should. You have to stop shoulding yes. all over yourself. Yes, totally. <laughs> okay. I use that a lot. S H O U L D. Okay. <laughs> this is a clean conversation. I said should. Okay. But you you have to you have to stop doing that because you're automatically when you say should, I know y'all can't see me talking with my hands. Maybe I will post a video of this. But you're like, your expectations are, I'll just say eye level, right? For those of you listening. When you say I should, you're putting yourself down here, you know, by your mouth or your nose. Mm-hmm. And you're automatically creating this gap saying like I am insufficient or what I I'm not good enough or I am not fill in the blank because I should have known or I should have done this instead mm-hmm. and something I think a really quick easy way to reframe that instead of saying I should have or I should have known better is maybe I wish I would have known this mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. right and going back and again like you said asking that question on if I'm having a bad body image day, it doesn't mean I'm back in my eating disorder or I'm chronically struggling with hating my body or disliking it or feeling like I'm unworthy. But it's a great point to bring up a question and go, why might I be feeling this way today? Why might I be noticing certain aspects of my body more? Or why, like, what is pushing me to want to get on the scale today? And so mm-hmm. it creates, instead of, creating that opportunity for shame or for guilt, it created, instead you shift it and it leads you to this place of, Hey, there's some growth here. There's a chance for me to rely on Jesus more so today Mm -hmm. because I am feeling weak. And when I'm weak, he's strong. And so it gives you that Mm -hmm. chance. So, so for someone maybe who is struggling a lot with perfectionism, could you maybe just speak and 
again, this could go with the, the body shame or body image piece as well. What were some of the things that you did or worked with your team on to really help challenge perfectionism? I know you mentioned like you have to do things repetitively and consistently. Mm -hmm. So can you give a couple of like practical examples on you? Maybe you had an urge to do something. It wasn't perfect. How did you challenge it? Yeah. So one of the like simple things would be, um, I remember my counselor going, okay, this is your homework and I want you to aim for a C plus, which is really hard for me to do. Right. (laughs) So that's like a very practical. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but essentially, I really want to share one of the biggest things that really made a difference for all, for Ed and the gang, for all the isms. So I grew up hearing the gospel my whole life. I accepted Jesus while Billy Graham was speaking on TV at the age of four. Okay. I don't remember not knowing Jesus yet. My lived experience was not what I heard, like read in the Bible, which is like, is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Right. I knew that I was loved and accepted conceptually, but I didn't have a lived experience of how God really loved me. So uh, psychiatrist uh, Daniel Siegel, he says that concepts alone don't rewire the brain. And so this is where a lot of us get stuck is the fact that we know this stuff intellectually, but it doesn't actually change us. We need the experiences of things, meaning engaging our senses in order for us to be able to experience something. So for example, if um, someone said that negative 50 degrees is really cold, for those of us who've never been in negative 50 degrees, we're all imagining like we can kind of somewhat feel it, maybe imagine it kind of thing, but we don't have a lived experience in our body. I guarantee anyone who's ever been in 50 degree weather, they hear that their body literally has a physical reaction to it, right? Because they felt what it actually feels like. Okay. So this is the concept and the idea of, um, learning how to experience the gospel. And the late Timothy Keller was so good at at essentially teaching me how to do this. And so one of the things um, that I did after listening to a lot of Timothy Keller messages uh, was <laughs> to sit down and using the Bible, I wrote a love letter from Jesus to me talking about what he did for me. And um, in this, it's much more of an experiential experience of the gospel versus like someone just preaching the gospel. So if it's all right, I'd love to be able to read this letter to your listeners. Sure. And I would love for, as you hear this, imagine Jesus saying this to you, and then just observe what you notice in your body as you hear this. And and just see, does this, does this come across a little differently than maybe the way that you've heard the gospel before? Okay. So my daughter... I know it's not easy living in a world where you're constantly bombarded with messages that you are not enough, but you are unique and one of a kind, and I didn't create you to fit the world's standards of success and beauty. And only when you live in that truth that you are my daughter will you be free. When I was in the garden, I was deeply distressed because I knew what was ahead of me, and I asked the Father if there'd be any other way for you to be saved and to not have to go through the cross. But my dear daughter, the only way for you to spend eternity with me in heaven was for me to be tortured and crucified to pay the price of your sins, including your love of the beauty idol and perfectionism. So I agreed to lay down my life because I love you so very much. My daughter, as I was being beaten, 
whipped, spit on, abused, tortured, and carrying the cross to where you would die, I was thinking of you by name. I must do the will of the Father to save my precious daughter, because having her with me is worth all this pain and suffering. And as I suffered for hours, I thought of you. My love for you kept me on the cross. I died and rose again so we can spend eternity together. And because of this, you are free from sin and no longer a slave to what others think of you and conforming to this world's standards of success and beauty. And I love Cassandra with that. Not only is it is it a beautiful something to think on, but it is it's truth from scripture, right? Like one of the most effective weapons of spiritual warfare, the most effective, I would say, is speaking and praying scripture over ourselves, speaking. You mentioned the word truth a couple of times there. And so often, whether it's a thought that has to do with perfectionism or anything else about ourselves or our body, if we are not filling our minds with the truth, we, we, it's going to be ineffective. I, I mentioned this in a, another podcast episode with, I think it was with Brittany Bauer when we were talking about identity. But when, when you hear that phrase, like, speak your truth and own your truth mm-hmm. and you do you, no, ma'am, there, you don't have a truth. Okay. Harsh. If you're listening and you didn't like that, you're welcome to skip to the next episode. Okay. <laughs> I'm, but I don't think it would be helpful to anyone to to not call this out and say like, we have to speak that kind of truth from scripture about where our worth and our identity comes from, because there's so many of you listening, probably like Cassandra, like you just said, like you did, you had not at that point had that lived experience. It was like, mm-hmm. I have this head knowledge. I know this. I know Jesus loves me. I know my worth isn't found in my weight. I know my, you know, this eating disorder voice is a lie, but it doesn't, feel that way, but I don't see it playing out. Mm -hmm. And so part of it, part of it starts with that knowing, but there's also a difference. And I forget my husband could speak to this. There's like two different words in Spanish for no, like one is like to be aware of somebody. And then one is to more like intimately know who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think we so often skip that with Jesus. And we just say, I know, I know what scripture says. I know who he says he is. I know he died on the cross for me. But to get that lived experience requires spending intimate time with the Lord Mm -hmm. and not just praying. Sometimes it's shutting our mouth and listening. Mm -hmm. Some of the most um, impactful conversations I've had were where I was not doing a whole lot of talking, where I was doing (laughs) a lot of listening, a lot of soaking in. I love being in rooms with people and on podcasts with people where I'm like, they know something I don't know. They're smarter than me. I don't need to be sitting here trying to prove myself or even try to keep up. Like, I just need to shut my mouth and listen and grow. And we need to do that with the Lord. We need to soak in that that truth. So when you finally had an experience like that, how did you notice, how did you notice maybe after writing this letter, what were some of the ways maybe you started um, experiencing some of those I guess just lived experiences. I use that mm-hmm. word twice, but, but how did you start noticing Jesus presence showing up for you and the love he had for you rather than just mm-hmm. that head knowledge of, yeah, I know mm-hmm. he loves me. I know, I know my body's good. How did, how did you experience that? Yeah. So practically speaking, like if I'm getting ready to go into a room or, um, 
especially when I'm getting ready to public speak publicly, right? Um, one of the things I even to this day do essentially is, okay, Jesus literally died for me. He lost his life in order to save me. Ed never died for me. He only abused me. And so- Great. so um i can trust the love of jesus and that needs to be i want that to be more real to me than whatever i'm hearing diet culture ed or my body image trying to tell me that day that it matters what other people think now that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt if someone makes a negative comment we're not saying that's not the case the difference is, is that before it would destroy me. I couldn't, I couldn't be okay if someone didn't like me. But now, yeah, it hurts. I don't like being judged by diet culture, uh, diet culture, because you know, for me to be in a smaller body literally took an eating disorder, right? So it was unhealthy for me to be in a smaller body than I am now, and so I can just remember. You know, Ed only abused me, so I could choose to go back to doing that, but that I don't want to go back under Ed and the gang. That was miserable. Um, and I have someone who laid down his life to save me, so I can I can go out. And it's a practice. Again, my emotions don't necessarily always follow it, but the more and more I speak the truth of the gospel to myself and allow myself to personalize the gospel of what Jesus did for me, that he was thinking of me just totally blew me away when I had that, that concept um, idea truly internalized and move from my head to my heart. And ultimately I serve a Jesus who knows what it's like to be stripped naked, beaten and tortured in front of people. And I guarantee I will, probably not have to deal with that level of shame and things. So Jesus did that for me. So I can live in this society and live countercultural in the upside down kingdom because he went through far worse in order to save me. It's, it's so good. And it goes back again, I think, Cassandra, to that that concept of you, you have to take action and walk out the things that you know align with the Lord, like, Take the messy action before it feels comfortable mm-hmm. because that's how you learn that skill. Mm-hmm. I, I liken it to to something like learning to ride your bike or swim. Like you can read the textbooks. You can go read an article on how do I swim? What do I do with my arms? What do I do with my, my legs? But until you actually get in the water mm-hmm. and experience what does it feel mm-hmm. like, that buoyancy to kind of float or for your arms to move, that difference in gravity, right? Just like the negative 50 degree weather, like you don't have that lived experience and the way you create and experience these new types of situations is to intentionally put yourself in a place to rely on and experience Mm -hmm. Jesus. So for, for the person who is listening that says, okay, that's where I am. I need to, I've got to challenge this perfectionism in order to really hand over control to the Lord and to start trusting in the only one who really like can wholeheartedly deserve it without risk, right? Like there's, there's not risk in relying on Jesus and allowing him to meet those needs that these dysfunctional behaviors that we've been trying to use to meet. So, mm-hmm. so for someone who says, okay, I really, I, I know I need to start challenging perfectionism for real. Like what would be maybe just very 
one very simple, practical challenge you might give someone that they could start implementing today or this mm-hmm. week to start challenging perfectionism mm-hmm. on their own journey to food freedom or body image change. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like what we're talking about in relation to body image and the gospel, like that is like years of me and I'm still practicing, right? Like I still have these dysfunctional behaviors that I'm still practicing. You know, I might work in perfectionism in one area and then the Lord's, oh, you still have some in this area kind of thing. Like spoiler alert, we all have dysfunctional behaviors. (laughs) (laughs) And I have not arrived. I'm still in the process. I'm using these very tools. Um, so start with something again, think really small. So for me, practically speaking, that looked like I'm an organized person. I don't like a ton of clutter. Now given that's just tends to be my personality. That's okay. But to practice, sometimes I would literally like put something out of order or not put something away or say, I have five minutes to do this and that's it. Like I, I'm not allowed to work on it after that. It, it's done after five minutes um, to practice feeling those uh, difficult emotional people, emotion words that come up when we can't keep working on things to make them perfect. Because that, again, in and of itself is blazing the new trail of feeling the discomfort of things not, quote unquote, in our mind being perfect. And so try with, um, you know, for me, like, Turning the remote so it's crooked on the end table versus straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coloring out of the lines. Um, Whoa. Oh, Don't know. get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you can ask yourself is like, okay, I, the goal here, like one, I noticed that I'm having very black and white, all or nothing thinking. Okay, swimming in the gray is what I want to practice. So what's one two millimeter step I could take? out of the black or white of this. And that kind of helps me figure out how I can, to be honest with you, it takes the pressure off because I'm like, oh good. Yeah. Right. I don't have to do this perfectly. Oh, good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so the, the two kind of things that I heard you say in there for, for those of you who want to apply this in a different way, I heard you say, break a rule or set a boundary, right? Mm -hmm. So like break a rule. If it's, if it's that perfectionism with kind of the um, everything's got to be straight and organized and clear and all those things like break a rule, turn it, turn that remote sideways, leave something on the floor or set a boundary, right? Give yourself a time limit. Mm -hmm. If it is the amount of time, if you feel like you have to look perfect and you're spending 45 minutes in front of the mirror doing your makeup or your hair or trying on 12 different outfits in your Mm -hmm. closet, set a boundary. I can try on two outfits today Mm -hmm. or I can try on X number or I'm going to set that timer and I'm going to stand in front of the mirror and get myself ready. And when it goes off in seven minutes, then I'm, that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like beat the clock. That's one of the strategies for reducing body image checking, like be done before that timer goes off. Mm -hmm. So I love, I love that practical challenge. Cassandra for someone who says like, okay, I'm going to practice that today. And what's next? Um, I know you do uh, you have like this really fun service that you provide that you want to give to a few of our listeners. So will you tell us about that and how people might can learn a little more about what it looks like to work with you or to take some, again, some more next steps in not just growing and working their way through perfectionism, but maybe some of those other dysfunctional behaviors in their own recovery journey. 
Yeah. So let's say you're listening and you're like, I just don't really know where to begin. It just feels too big. I need help figuring out the steps. That's one of the things I love being able to do as a coach. So I would love to be able to gift five of your listeners, one of my breaking free strategy sessions. So these are 60 minutes. Um, it's complimentary. Uh, all you have to do is email me at info at CassandraBaker.com or you can go to my website, CassandraBaker.com and Cassandra's with a K. And you can contact me through there. Let me know that you heard me on this podcast and that you're interested in one of the Breaking Free Strategy sessions. And we'll sit down and uh, you can tell me what's going on. Maybe one of your isms, maybe it's your own Miss P or another one. And we can sit down and say, okay, practically speaking, let's really break this down and apply it to your specific life. Um, And so I would love to hear from you if that would be helpful. Awesome. Well, you guys take advantage of that. Um, And if you recognize some of these other dysfunctional behaviors that Cassandra mentioned, I will link up in the show notes, the needs assessment. So you can download that and figure out, Hey, what are maybe one of these other needs that I'm trying to get met through my dysfunctional behaviors. Um, We also, I may link up, but we, I did a, another podcast episode with Meg McCabe and we talked about some, what are some of the most common recovery hangups and perfectionism was one there as well. So y'all please know that give yourself grace. Okay. Cassandra, your, your ministry is authenticity and grace for a reason, right? We've got to have grace throughout this process. And the authenticity part is required because you can't make progress unless you're being honest about what's going on. You've got to be authentic with the struggles. So, um, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you want to learn more about some dysfunctional behaviors, we have another episode coming out soon targeted on people pleasing. That's a that's a tough one too. So, um, Cassandra, are there any final words of wisdom that you want to share? Anything else you want to tell our listeners as we wrap up our mm-hmm. incredible conversation? So, I like to leave listeners with this thought. Um, the reason why I'm here today is because I made a, a commitment at when I was a teenager and really struggling that no matter how hard it would get. I would never give up fighting for freedom. Even if that meant I died at 70, not knowing freedom, I was going to at least die fighting for freedom. And I really believe that that's why I'm standing where I'm at today. And so the only way for sure for you to fail is to not even fight and to to give up. And so I just really want to encourage you to just to keep going and, um, because the good news is also is that this is not our forever home and this, what we are going through now will pass away. So good. Such a great reminder. So um, thank you again for everyone for listening in and being here with us today. And until next time, friends, may be filled with joy and abound in hope. Do you feel encouraged or inspired to take your next steps toward food and body freedom after listening to today's episode? If so, would you take 30 seconds to leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? It's the absolute best way to support the show and share what you're loving about it so that we can continue to spread the word and serve you with even more incredible topics and special guests. If you want even more free support on your food freedom and body image journey, then make sure you get on our VIP list right now. As a VIP insider, you'll get bonus podcast content from me every Tuesday to help you press forward on your food freedom journey. And you'll have the opportunity to submit requests for the topics and guests you want to hear from on the show. To get on that list right now, just head to BrittanyBraswellRD.com slash VIP or find the link in today's show notes. And lastly, if you're tired of trying to Google your way to better body image or food freedom, I have something for you. 
We have a course suite that can help you take your next steps. So whether you're looking for a Christ-centered approach to overcoming disordered eating, wanting to improve your body image without all the worldly affirmations and self-esteem mess, or you just need a little guidance to boost the nutritional value of your meals and snacks at home, I've got you covered, friend. Head to BrittanyBraswellRD.com DIY to check out our signature courses and find the one that best fits what you need right now. Thanks again for spending your time with me today. I'll see you next time on the Joyful Eater Podcast.